Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. With so much research done on girls in the area of puberty, sex, owning their bodies, and understanding their moods, there has been a refreshing move to finally include boys in the conversation after many years of assuming they just quietly and easily flow from child to adult, unlike their female counterparts. Of course, just because boys have gotten quieter during puberty doesn't mean that they don't have a lot going on in their heads, a lot going on in their bodies, and a lot that we really do need to discuss. And in fact, leaving our sons to manage their ups and downs of puberty on their own denies them accurate information and leaves them vulnerable to societal messages about body image, pornography, and violence. Now you've heard the interview I did with the fabulous Peggy Orenstein on boys and sex, as well as the fascinating interview I did with Michael Reichert on how to raise a boy. Now we are going to leap headfirst in some of the pressing questions we really want answered about what's really going on with boys as they go through puberty. What is my son doing behind his constantly closed door? What's with the curt responses, impulsivity, and newfound obsession with gaming and that uh, funky smell? And of course, for our purposes, how do we talk to our boys about all the things that they're going through so that they don't feel so alone and confused about what's going on in their bodies and their minds? Time to get comfortable with feeling a little uncomfortable again as we delve into decoding boys with best-selling author Dr. Kara Natterson. Now, Kara Natterson is a pediatrician, popular speaker, consultant, and New York Times best-selling author of multiple parenting health books, including the Care and Keeping of You book series, which has more than six million copies in print, and Guy Stuff, which is the guide for boys along the same lines. She has now written a book called Decoding Boys, New Science Behind the Subtle Art of Raising Boys, and provides information that is right up my alley. In fact, she writes on the very first page, we can't decode boys if we don't talk to them. Absolutely. Dr. Natterson is a graduate of Harvard College and Johns Hopkins Medical School, and she trained in pediatrics at the University of California at San Francisco. After working as a general pediatrician for many years, she founded Worryproof Consulting, a first-of-its-kind practice offering parents open-ended appointments. She also provides medical expertise for numerous parenting websites and serves on several boards, including Starlight Children's Foundation, Mattel's Barbie Council, The Honest Company. Medical Advisory, and Zemcar, a safe ride service for children. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband and two teenagers. Thank you and welcome Dr. Natterson to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. 
Oh, thank you so much. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I, I'm so excited about delving into all of this. But before we get into all of it, for those who haven't had the opportunity to read your now best-selling book, again, congratulations, and see you speak, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in skewing your attention from girls now to decoding and understanding boys? Um, well, what gets me up in the morning... Um, that's that's a good question. Mm-hmm. My kids get me up in the morning, yeah. um, and uh, and the the pleasure of starting a day as a mom and then being able to switch over to wear all these other hats to take care of and write for other kids. So that's um, that's the fun part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I when I wrote the American Girl series, um, those books, I I inherited the title, The Care and Keeping of You, which had actually been out um, since 1998. And I came in um, around 2011 and started working on an update and started to expand the series with American Girl, which was an incredible partnership. And when I first started working with them, I first started pitching a boy book. Um, The reason being that I really don't believe that puberty is as gendered as we make it. I mean, granted, there are different hormones in different parts, but the process of transformation is very universal and doesn't really uh, depend on on whether you're XX or XY. So um, it took a, a while. It was a hard sell to get a girl toy company to publish a boy book. But um, the Care and Keeping series is so beloved and so widely read that um, they, they gave me a shot. And we published Guy Stuff, which is essentially... Uh, my my best friend calls it the care and keeping of dudes, mm-hmm. um, and that's and that's really what it is. It's it's uh, the care and keeping for boys. Um, as I was writing guy stuff, it became clear to me in a deeper way than ever before how few conversations parents have with boys compared to girls. And I knew this from being a pediatrician, and I understood it from watching my own son with his friends and watching their interactions with their parents. But really, I I saw it on a new scale when I was writing that book and and touring around with that book. And so the the opportunity to write a parenting book about bringing boys into conversation and, and shining a light on the differences between how we talk to our girls and how we talk to our boys sort of became a no-brainer as I worked on that book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's great that you uh, delved into that matter because we do need it. And I love that you're an advocate for talking to our boys as as that is exactly where we are with our podcast, talking to our kids, being open with our kids. As we're all about connecting and understanding and opening those doors, you start off discussing how to talk to boys, noting things like listening and turning off devices and taking do-overs, something that we discuss every single podcast episode. I believe parenting is the ultimate do-over, always allowing us a, a new time, a new moment, a new day to try something a little differently. And you talk about not making eye contact, refraining from overpromising, and finding a surrogate. So I'm wondering if you can explain some of those key tips, maybe ones that that people might not have thought of to think about when they're talking to boys, and those things that we really need to keep in mind when talking to boys about things that are might be a little uncomfortable. Sure. So um, 
not making eye contact is a is a tried and true piece mm-hmm. of advice. And it's one you'll hear all over the place because it works. So um, if you are in a car mm-hmm. and everyone's facing forward, you're not having that intense moment of eye contact, which which further magnifies an already tricky moment sometimes. Um, likewise, uh, when kids go to bed and you say good night and you turn off the lights, right? That's a very common time for kids to then start to want to talk about something that's a little tricky because you literally can't see each other. Mm-hmm. So um, that lack of eye contact, especially when parents and kids don't have the, the sort of routine of talking to each other down, uh, it's a great way to get things started. And it's a very non-accusatory way of getting things started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the advice that you hear a little less often that I think is probably more valuable is the advice to just stop talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we, I, I am the number one offender and my son will tell you that. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? I, I need to fill the quiet with more explanation about why I'm going there. And it's not effective. It's just not. And if we, you know, they hear us, especially as they get older, as they get into middle school and high school, they, they hear us and they know what we're saying. And the key is not that we keep going and going and going. The key is that we bring it up, that we listen to what they have to say. We feed off their cues. So if they're not ready to talk yet, okay, they're gonna be, they'll let us know that they're not ready to talk and then we bring it up again. And it's this kind of going back but sitting with the silence that tends to be much more effective. Boys will tell you it's more effective. Girls will tell you it's more effective. So I think that's, that's probably, if you're going to take one uh, takeaway strategy, um, learning to be comfortable with the silence uh, is is probably the most effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a, it's so important to allow that space because sometimes we find that when we're we're silent, there's a couple of beats before our child feels brave enough to start talking or is trying to get their thoughts together before they might say anything. So if we're constantly filling that space, there's no room for that to actually happen. And even though it's really uncomfortable because, you know, five seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds feels really long when you're just waiting in silence, doesn't it? It's, it's, you know, unbearable yeah, sometimes, Exactly. But it becomes really important. And, it, you know, I think so often um, they don't have the space to even identify how they feel. Mm-hmm. So here we are giving them words to describe how they feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at a certain point, articulate kids, kids who are able to put words to, to those emotions will say, stop telling me how I feel. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that stings a little bit. That's helpful. Um, many kids don't even, they're not there. They don't know, they don't even know how to articulate that. And they may be very deep and thoughtful kids. They just, this is just a corner that they haven't explored yet. So, um, yeah, so be quiet. Mm-hmm. Be quiet. Yes. Allow for, allow for that space. I also, I do, and I do like the, the tip of, of finding a surrogate. It's something we've talked about on this show before that if you're really uncomfortable talking to your child about some topic, or you feel that somebody else would do a better job, perhaps because they've been in the same situation or Perhaps you feel like you would like your your son to talk to um, 
another guy about something that maybe you don't know uh, the information that that they need to know about something in particular, that you can reach out to other people and and allow that to happen to somebody that you trust so that it's not left up to chance that your child is just going to get the information from some kid on the bus that you're you're saying oh you know uncle uncle so-and-so or you know one of my best guy friends uh, might have the answer to that would you feel comfortable talking to that person um since uh, i'm not a dude in this situation and i'm not really sure what to say if that is in case the situation right and and i would say um no matter how close you are with your child again boy or girl doesn't matter there are going to be things that they cannot talk to you about Mm -hmm. and if you pick the person ahead of time with your child Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting Mm -hmm. conversation Mm -hmm. frankly um, who would you go to for this and sometimes you're picking three or four different people for three or four different roles Um, the beauty of that is that you can actually forewarn the person who is the surrogate (laughs) which is really quite key right you want they you don't want them to get the call in the middle of the night and for them to go, uh, I'm not yeah. sure what I'm supposed to be doing here. So. Yes, am I allowed to be talking about this with your child? Exactly. It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I have had um, numerous conversations with my niece, and and certainly have been one of the the surrogates for her, and feel so honored to be that person, and love being that person, and I think it's a really valid point that we need other people to. Uh, you know, to come in on that conversation. That's right. So we know that boys go through changes just as girls go through changes during puberty. And you discuss testosterone and testicle size, hair, body odor, and more. So what are some of the key areas that you would like us to be discussing with our boys about physical changes that are happening during puberty? Like, when should we do it? Who should be doing it? And please, what should we be saying? (laughs) So um, I'm a big fan of empowering kids with information, Mm -hmm. good information. Um, Boy puberty in general and testosterone in particular are topics that are not um, commonly covered, I would say, by parents. And so parents feel a little bit uncomfortable. Even dads feel a little bit uncomfortable uh, being the the sources of information. So I wrote a whole chapter about it. um, And my goal was to educate parents. And, you know, my book is... Well, it's written for a parenting audience. If you have an older son, uh, a high schooler or a middle grader who a middle grader who likes to read, mm-hmm. uh, they can read the book. Right? There's nothing. There's nothing magical and secret that's for parents mm-hmm. that they can't digest themselves. And so, um, so feel free to pass the information along directly to them. But what you want to know about boy puberty is that it is largely governed by testosterone. That's the hormone that basically transforms a boy into a a potentially reproductive male, okay, a potentially reproductive adult. Um, And so the the path of that is that um, boys have to start making testosterone. And we all have a little testosterone in our bodies, um, males and females. But um, when boys enter puberty, the testicles become testosterone factories Mm. and they start pumping out a lot of this hormone. And so the testicles, in order to accommodate the amount of testosterone they have to produce, they have to grow. 
So the first sign of puberty in a boy is growth of the testicles, which indicates that they're starting to manufacture more and more testosterone. Which is not something that we might not, might, we might just see because our child is typically not getting dressed in the middle of the uh, living room floor anymore. 100%. I always say to parents, you know, for those of you who have nudists, I'm very jealous because you know exactly where your child is in development. Everyone else, and that's the vast majority, they really don't know. Their boys around this same time start to cover up and get quiet and uh, private. Mm -hmm. And so there's no reason parents should know that their boys' testicles are growing, nor should parents examine their children. <laughs> I, I liked that in the book. Like, don't do this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even I didn't do that. Okay. So, uh, so you shouldn't do that. Um, and, and it's important. So, but, but the, the other piece is that it can take a long time for the testicles to start to grow and ramp up their testosterone production. And it can take a long time to see testosterone's effects in the body. Um, like a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So boys are often in puberty much longer than anyone realizes. And the testosterone effects you'll eventually see are things like increased muscle mass, the vocal cords change shape, so the voice starts to crack and drop. Um, you get uh, you get the the pubertal growth spurt, which is in conjunction with growth hormone. Um, those are sort of the, the signs of shoulders broad, and you get these signs of puberty, right? Um, what is not a sign of puberty, what is not a sign of the testicles producing more testosterone is hair and stink. Hmm. And this is very mm -hmm. important to recognize because those, uh, those two features of growing up and going through, through adolescence are governed by hormones that are cousins of testosterone that are produced in the adrenal glands that sit on top of the kidneys. And so a lot of times parents will see a little pubic hair growth or a little underarm mm. hair growth or a little mustache or they'll, you know, their boys will take off their socks and you have to leave the room, right? <laughs> and those are like classic signs. And you go, oh, my son's in puberty. No, no, he's in something called adrenarchy, which is that the adrenal hormones are starting to increase, but, and it, it's, it tends to be in sync with puberty for most kids, but it's not puberty. Mm -hmm. um, and that's only significant because testosterone has very real effects on the brain and mood, just in the same way that estrogen has very specific effects on the brain and mood. And so when you're trying to put together all the features of what is happening to my child and why, it's just nice to be educated and know, okay, all these things are happening, but for different reasons. So when we're using the word puberty, I usually am, am really drilling down on testosterone when it comes to the boys. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say our son is nine or 10 and you know, you know that you have maybe not had this conversation and you haven't mm -hmm. actually maybe seen any of these signs yet. So- mm -hmm. What is it that you really want them to know, understanding that it's coming soon if it isn't already started? So right. what is it What is it that you would maybe sit down and talk to your child about or talk about in the car or talk about when the lights are off? Yeah. So um, I'm going to put a giant asterisk on the answer because how we talk to our children when and about what is entirely dependent upon the parent and the kid. Mm -hmm. uh, 
it depends on personalities, temperament, how much information you tend to circulate in your home, where the siblings are in the birth order, uh, what, you know, physical proximity. When a child's gone all day at school, if a parent's gone all day at work um, and they sync up in the evening, that's one thing. If a parent's gone in the evening, it's another. So there are all these logistical pieces that really factor into how you talk about what uh, and then layer on top of that kind of what what you've already done in your home. Different different families have, have given a lot of information. Other families have really withheld the information because they're not sure their kids are ready for it. Or they might have kids that get a little anxious about it, right? And, and don't really want to talk about it. So there isn't a perfect time or a right time to talk about all this. Um, however, if you make conversations about puberty, conversations about health and wellness, just basic information about how to grow up healthy, and and sort of make them holistic, if you will, it's a really easy in, right? So um, if you sit down with your child and you say, you may start to notice changes in your body, that can be a little overwhelming for some kids, <laughs> right? Like, Here comes the PBS special. <laughs> I 100%, right? Um, they're like, oh, God, how can I get out of this conversation? And even if they sit there, they're going to shut you down, right? So rather than that, you may want to approach it with your child by saying things like, you know, at, at the dinner table, you know, talking about why you eat what you eat and what's nutritious and what helps your body grow. And speaking of growing, I've noticed, you know, a couple of the kids in your class have gotten really tall. And what do you think of that? Mm -hmm. Or, hey, have you, do you have any questions about any body stuff? We don't really talk about it that often, but, you know, I, uh, my body grew and changed and I'm, I'm around and I'm happy to answer. Mm -hmm. Or, Hey, you know, it's my job as your parent to always tell you things that maybe other people won't tell you. And I just got to tell you, you know, you, you smell a little different than you used to. And, you know, I don't want anyone else to smell it and not tell you. And your son or daughter may go, what are you talking about? And they also may say, oh, yeah, I know. I know. And then you say, yeah, and you got to use soap in the shower. And actually, when you use soap, you got to actually use the soap. And here's how you do it. You know, it's like very non-judgmental and baby right. steps into these conversations. I love but, it. But here's the deal. Um, the average age for onset of puberty is much, much younger than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we know that girl puberty has uh, dropped. The onset of girl puberty has dropped from around 11 in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, um, to now it is generally somewhere between eight and nine is average for a girl to show the first signs of puberty, namely getting breast buds. Those mm -hmm. are the early um, breast development. Um, for for boys, uh, it used to be around 11 and a half. Now we're seeing, uh, if you actually go and measure testicular size, which again, not a parent thing to do, <laughs> um, but... <laughs> If you do that, um, you will see boys' testicles begin to grow sometime between 9 and 10, maybe a little bit after they're 10 for the average boy. And it depends on ethnicity and genetics. Uh, but that's much earlier than before. So when you've got a 9 or a 10-year-old at home, it's not too early to start tiptoeing into these conversations. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that's really important advice. I, I had a conversation very briefly with a, uh, a parent who... I, I had mentioned to her a long time ago that uh, I had had a, a podcast episode on on 
talking to kids about sex general um and and she said oh my child's not ready for that he's he's only 11 um and it's interesting to me that we we choose to wait so long to have these conversations and the danger of that and you bring it up in your book but we've talked about it before is that uh, somebody else will get to them first and they'll get their education mm-hmm. elsewhere, whether it's from a, a friend who thinks they know everything, but they don't, um, somebody who doesn't hold your uh, same ideals or the internet. So uh, we have to be careful with that. So I really do appreciate what you're saying here about t- you know tiptoeing into the conversations, but getting into them nonetheless. Now we talk extensively uh, with Peggy Orenstein about boys and sex. And I know that she she was one of the people that you interviewed for your book, clearly. But I'd like to get into this question a little bit with you as well. First, I, I want to highlight one line that I starred and underlined in your book on page 93, which was just remember, this isn't your sex talk. It's his. You don't need to download your entire personal history to sound cool. Don't dominate. So what key information should we absolutely be talking to boys about when it comes to sex and what what maybe is not so necessary to divulge um, when we're, we're first talking to kids about sex in the first, second or third conversation? Yeah, so uh, let me start with Peggy, who does really wonderful work. Um, she and I tease that, you know, where where I leave off is where she begins. Mm-hmm. It's really a continuum of this yes. conversation. And um, and so um, both she and I talk a lot about pornography as um, sort of sex education of the current day. And the reason I bring it up in this context is that depending upon what study you read and believe, the average first viewing of pornography for boys in this country is sometime between 11 and 13. It's so frightening. Such a frightening well, statistic. It's, it's a really, um, it's a really mind blowing statistic. And the reason it's so important is that these boys are not going out and looking for porn. Mm-hmm. Porn is finding them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they are seeing images that are not, um, the sex education we want for our boys. And both Peggy and I talk a lot about parents wanting for their children to grow up, not just to be safe and healthy, but to have positive, healthy relationships, including positive, healthy sexual relationships mm-hmm. when they're older. Mm-hmm. So this is not the the way we want to sex educate our sons, especially when most of the free pornography that um, finds them models very violent and aggressive relationships. So um, it has meant, this statistic has meant that whether you like it or not, you need to begin the conversations around sex and healthy, positive relationships with your kids, both boys and girls. The girls are not far behind the boys in terms of viewing pornography. Um, You need to have these conversations at home. They cannot entirely be outsourced to school even if school does a really great job, they generally are not able to get to it soon enough. It is important for parents to have these conversations. So then becomes the question, you know, how do you do it? And how do you, you know, where do you even go? How do you start with a child, Mm -hmm. right? We're talking about viewing of pornography at ages where kids haven't even thought about 
what their first kiss might be like, right? right? right. I mean, this is so, so premature. And it's, it's writing a narrative that we need to, as parents, we need to help our children rewrite. But as I said in the book, it's not your sex education. It's not your puberty as the parent. And what we tend to do um, as parents, our go-to strategy is often, here's how it was for me. Mm. I am being empathic and I understand what it's going to be like for you. Mm. We think that's a great strategy. In some parent-child relationships, it is a great strategy and it works really well. But in most, this is a really different world, okay? Mm. There wasn't online porn when mm-hmm. we were growing up. There wasn't online right. when we were growing up, right? Um, there wasn't a Me Too movement. There weren't issues around sexual consent. There weren't, I mean, I could list a hundred things that are different. So puberty, even though the mechanics of it are the same, mm-hmm. the timing of it is different and the environment in which it occurs is different. And that means that your stories about your puberty, while occasionally relevant, are not the be-all and end-all in terms of educating your child. Mm -hmm. And then you have to add on the final layer, which is even if your stories are completely relevant, they don't necessarily want to hear them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, they may want to hear them every once in a while. They definitely want to hear the fails for sure. (laughs) But, um, but really they will, they want the opportunity to ask questions and to talk about what's happening for them. And if it's all about you, uh, there's no room. Again, it's going back to just listen. There's, there's no room to ask their questions when you're so busy reliving, you know, your past and, and your first love. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. Okay. Excellent. So it's really important that we're listening to our kids and allowing them room to ask questions Uh, You know, it's so funny. I've said this uh, multiple times on our podcast, but when I was talking to my daughter about sex, I thought I was just going to be, you know, talking about the mechanics. It it happened completely organically, the conversation. Um, But after talking about the mechanics for like minutes, a couple minutes, it went into a much more in-depth conversation about consent and love and romance. And I was answering tons and tons of questions I had never even dreamed I was going to be answering during that conversation. And it was, it was an incredible conversation that I'll always remember and just be so honored that, that I got to have with my daughter. So I think it's great to be able to keep those, that dialogue open. And now that I'm having conversations with my son about his body and, and puberty uh, and the questions are, are different and they're differently asked and of, and many of them are asked with a lot of humor, uh, but they still want those answers. You know, they, even if it's presented differently, even if the personality is different, you know, it's, it, the, the conversation uh, still needs to happen. Now I know that you provide this sort of second conversation in your book related to boys and sex, but it's not specifically on boys and sex. It's on nude selfies. It's on porn. It's on consent. And as we just mentioned, like in this day and age, we have to talk about this. It's not a matter of just talking about sex itself and relationships. So I want to just ask you about nude selfies because we haven't gone into too much detail about that here on the podcast. 
what's going on here? Why is this happening? And and what should we be talking about with our boys regarding these nude selfies that people are sending on the phone? Right. Um, so I, I explain in the book um, quite a bit about brain development and how kids make decisions and why. And it's an important piece of the puberty conversation because while brain development and puberty are separate, they do run in parallel and how kids follow sort of impulse in the brain and why the limbic system, the impulsive center of the brain uh, rules the day helps to provide a foundation for then what happens in terms of sending nudes. Um, and, and it's sometimes the sending of nudes is very intentional. Um, it's very well thought out, but oftentimes um, it's very impulsive. So, um, you know, you give your kid a phone. Um, the average age in this country for phone ownership, smartphone ownership, is around 10. Um, frankly, it doesn't really matter to me if they own a phone or not because if there are enough devices around a house, uh, they have access to the to the technology and to the platforms. Um, so if they have a login on social media, if they have a, a, a login and they have a text account, um, it doesn't matter if the phone is theirs or not. Um, but if they have access to these devices um, and they're bored and they're growing up in, a, in an age of, um, of sort of uh, no delayed gratification and a lot of visual stimulus, you can see how there's kind of a, a stew <laughs> that uh, is simmering. And, um, and kids do often exchange images of themselves naked. Um, it starts young. Uh, it's not all kids. But when I teach in schools and I ask 12 and 13-year-olds if they have ever sent a nude, been asked for a nude, or known someone who has sent a nude, 100% of them say yes. Wow. So it's yes. not that everyone's doing it, right. but it's very much a part of their culture and their zeitgeist. They know this is going on. And it's part of a dating ritual. Frankly, if you look at adult dating sites, adults yeah. are sending nudes all the time on right. dating sites. So it's not like our kids don't have a model for it. This right. is this is a currency in our in our current society and it is what it is. And and there are studies that look at the later it is in the evening, the more impulsively kids behave on their phones and the mm -hmm. more likely they are to post things that they will later regret among them nudes. My concern about nudes um, I have a lot of concerns about nudes. My my biggest concern about nudes is sort of the, the legality of it all, that we have set up a system where we have made child pornography illegal uh, for a lot of very good reasons. But what that has boiled down to is that the, the sending and receiving of nudes uh, when kids are under 18 is child pornography. That is illegal. Um, I find that uh, extraordinarily ironic in the face of the fact that the pornography industry can and does reach out to our children under 18 with ease. And yet when our kids send images back and forth to each other, that's a federal crime. Mm. So I think we got a lot of work to do there right. in terms of right um, reframing all of this and understand who are we protecting? Yes, we should protect our children against pedophiles, but how do we protect our children from 
themselves and each other, is it really um, putting them in this bucket of child pornographers, which is very complicated. And I talk a lot about it in the book. Um, the, the other issue I have with nudes is how they are, um, how they are shot. So some kids send full body images or videos where they are easily identifiable, but the vast majority, when they're sending a quick image, Mm -hmm. the girls aim the camera up and the boys aim the camera down. And what that means is that you can often identify who the girl is Mm -hmm. in the nude. Maybe you don't see her whole face, but you can often identify a feature, you know, a a freckle, the shape of the chin and a piece of jewelry, whatever it is. Whereas the boys are aiming down, it's much harder to identify who the person is if the image is forwarded. Mm. That has enormous repercussions. Mm. And that, I think, is a really important conversation to have with kids. Um, I mean, all of this is important, right? And, and when we talk about conversations, we're talking about hundreds of conversations over years and years and years. So there's no such thing as the talk anymore. Right, there's, right. You know, it's endless. But these are important ones to talk about because um, – the stigma that goes along with being identified in a nude is tremendous. Um, and there are, there are many, many, many stories that are just devastating about um, the consequences for kids, um, the depression, um, all mm-hmm. of it that goes along with having an image that is identifiable circulated in a broader peer group. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never known a school district at this point that doesn't grapple with this. Mm-hmm. This is not, it's not like this happens occasionally. This happens all the time and everywhere. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 devastating, and I, I think that our kids don't realize how devastating it can be, especially when in the in in the heat of the moment, in at night, when they're doing when they're sending something, they have no idea that that the person on the other end might be forwarding it along. And it gets out of hand. And now, you know, what you sent to one person is in 100, 200, 500 phones. And, right. And can get out of hand very quickly. Especially if it's part of a, a, a flirtation, which is really where this has moved now. You know, it, there are a lot of stories about um, kids who are in relationships who have sent each other nudes and those nudes get discovered on phones. And that's sort of one bucket. And you have to think about well, what does that mean? Now you have to think about a much bigger bucket, which is, Sending nudes as part of flirtation. Oh, I, maybe maybe he or she likes me, mm-hmm. and this is this is part of that ritual. That's that's, you know, now now many more kids sort of um, see a path into this. And and again, like I I say all this, I am I am not sex negative. I am not. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think it's very important to to separate out sort of being sex positive and, and wanting kids to have healthy relationships and wanting them to feel wonderful about their bodies. And, and as they get older, um, you know, have great consensual relationships with other people. That's, that's not what this is about. This is about making decisions with your body, uh, that, that have consequences that maybe you're not considering in the mm-hmm. long run. And that is how the teen and tween brain is wired. It's mm-hmm. to That's not the really conversation think about. we need to have, right? That's that right. you might That's not right. be considering these things. And here's what I'm bringing up. All That's right. right. So my son, <laughs> this was just perfect timing. My son re- revealed on the way home from his piano lesson two weeks ago that they had, you know, watched the puberty video at school, 
something he was not looking forward to. And every time it was brought up in the house, he would just go ill and walk out. So uh, we know his, we knew his uh, opinion on that. He was totally horrified um, when he, he was sitting in the back seat of my car and, and said, well, do you know that we saw the puberty video today? I said, oh, right. So how did you feel about that? And he was like, do you know what we saw? And I, <laughs> I had like a smirk on my face because I do. But like, you know, uh, well, what did you see? He's like, they they focused in. I opened my eyes and there was a naked animated like he's an animated that's just hilarious <laughs> naked animated boy's body and then they zeroed in on his his words not mine wiener and then zoinked it out <laughs> As they zoinked it out and he was just like i i He's he's horrified by this whole thing. And he's like, everybody was laughing and we were all hiding our faces. And, you know, he was just very uncomfortable, but clearly brought it up to me because he wanted to talk about it. And we, we did have a wonderful conversation after that. These conversations are uncomfortable. I totally get that they are. And yet here we are having this conversation today so i'm just gonna talk to you about it right now so let's talk erections <laughs> in school and elsewhere and when we least expect it can we talk about how we're supposed to talk to our boys about erections something that's completely normal and not in their control <laughs> you know so much of the time and we can even get into wet dreams which is, is also out of their control as well but what are we supposed to say about these parts of puberty that we often do not talk about, but really should because the kids are worried. They're worried about it. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the data shows that when boys are in puberty, they get an average of 11 to 12 erections a day. That's pretty inconvenient. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it is. And when I say that to boys, they're like, Oh yeah. You know, um, it's funny. I, I think, Frankly, it's all in the tone of the delivery. Yeah. Um, and it depends if you have the equipment or not. So here's the difference between moms or women talking to boys about puberty and dads or men talking to boys about puberty, which is that uh, there's a different sensibility. When you grow up with the equipment, you may have a, a, a strategy of how to handle it that mm -hmm. was a winning strategy for you that you want to share. Moms don't have that benefit, right? Mm -hmm. So, but when you really drill down, the boys are coming to their moms as often as they're coming to their dads about this, it's which true. is a really interesting thing because I would argue that um, girl puberty is not the same. And the dads have fought really hard to kind of get in there and get language. And they would like to be a part of it. And I love that about the dads. I'm and so happy to, about it too. Yes. Right? It's fantastic. It's but fantastic. You, you gotta, it's a hard sell to the girls to, to say to them, you know, yeah, you should go talk to your dad. Yeah. Oh, okay. And consider that. But the boys, um, it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why that gender dynamic doesn't exist Maybe in the same way. Maybe because we've talked to them about so many things along the way, especially having to do with their bodies, you know. It, it may be. I also think it may be the fact that um, the majority of pediatricians are actually women. Mm, and so they're okay. very used to having women 
um, involved in their healthcare. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a piece of it as well. But regardless, I think you can absolutely talk about it as, I mean, it depends on your personality and your child's, but you can talk about it in terms of not having the equipment, or you can talk about it just very factually. Mm -hmm. um, but I would talk about it. Hey, yeah, well, one of the things that happens is your body is going through puberty. Your testicles are going to grow. Uh, and by the way, you use anatomical words. You can yes. say testicles or balls. Right. Those are the two words that the boys hear and understand. And then you're all on the same page, right? right. And and it's funny that your son uses the word wiener. That's absolutely fine. But <laughs> probably... Probably when you're doing it, just penis. Oh, penis, I did, right? but they, my kids hate when I say these it's words. So, I say it all the so time. Funny. Like whenever so we're funny. talking about it, I say penis and vagina, and they're like, "We don't like those words." I'm like, "That is that is what they are called. What would you like me to call these things? This is what they're called. It's just it's just uncomfortable for them, but it doesn't it doesn't make me not say them. <laughs> uh, totally, and it's very sweet when they use certain language, but. Um, and it's funny. I, I used to keep a list on my desk of all the words kids and their parents called all these parts mm -hmm. because um, it's so, you know, such a, a hotbed of miscommunication when yes. one's using one word and another's using another. But anyways, um, so you can you can approach it, you know, very, very straightforward or you could you can be um, funny about it. Um, you know, the truth is, boys. Uh, um, some boys are bothered by it. Some boys could care less. Mm -hmm. um, and there are strategies that boys come up with. Um, sometimes moms want some hints. Um, go ask your guy friends, ask your husband, ask your brothers, ask people what they did. Um, you know, the, the one that everyone starts with is hands in the pocket. And mm -hmm. the reason why is you can pull your pants away from the body and then the erection's not so noticeable. Um, another one when you're, you know, standing up to give a report in school and that's when the erection happens, you know, just standing behind a desk or covering up with a book or whatever it is, is totally fine. Um, I often tell boys, um, for the most part, when this first starts, they're the only one who's noticing. Mm -hmm. um, they, really, truly, they're the only one who's noticing. And, uh, and they don't believe it until they until you have a conversation about how often it happens for all boys. And then they're like, huh, I never noticed that on another guy. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Um, you know, uh, wet dreams are another involuntary um, sort of a sign of puberty, if you will. Um, so boys are not masturbating. Uh, that's not what a wet dream is. They are um, just uh, having a, a, a little bit of um, ejaculation when they are asleep. And um, it, some boys will have it frequently every night. Some boys will never have a wet dream. Most boys, it'll happen occasionally. Um, it's really important to talk to them about it because um, they think they've wet the bed often mm -hmm, or um, mm -hmm. some of them, you know, some know exactly what it is. Others think maybe something's wrong. Um, just, you know, you state the fact um, you know what it is and no biggie. Hey, if you notice it, can you, can you clean up? That's, you know, here's mm -hmm. how you clean your bed, give them, empower them a little bit to, to take ownership. We do that with our girls when they get their period. Why should we not do that with our boys mm -hmm. for wet dreams? It's no big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, but not talking about it can breed shame. Uh, whereas talking about it and just sort of totally normalizing it is great. And normalizing it when it doesn't happen is great too. So some boys are waiting for it and then, nothing. And then mm -hmm. they think, Oh, it, you know, am I not really in puberty? Is it not, you know, am I not producing sperm or am I not doing this, that, mm -hmm. and the other? So you can just normalize it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Before we before we wrap up, I I really liked that you touched on uh, boys and body image. I've spent a lot of time of my life to you know, focusing on girls and body image. In fact, it was what my dissertation work was on. It was my first book, and we really do need to talk about boys and body image as well. And as you point out in your book, masculinity drives male body image and the body ideal for men really hasn't changed dramatically over the decades. You mentioned the sort of muscular GI Joe, which has really only gotten more muscular than it was in the past. So what would you like us to do or say to our boys about body image? Oh, the most important thing is to acknowledge that they have a body ideal in the exact same ways that girls have a body ideal and that pressure to look a certain way is very real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just to acknowledge it, we are so good at acknowledging it among girls. And frankly, I think we as a society have done a better job of broadening the definition of beauty as we have had this conversation more and more and more over the years. Uh, we're not perfect yet, and um, there's still a lot of issues around it, but mm-hmm. we're doing better. Uh, with, our boys deserve the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also think it's really important for parents to recognize that the signs of body dysmorphia and um, the, the what kids will do when they become eating disordered in order to attain a certain body, those things look very different in girls and boys. Mm-hmm. And that's because typically girls are trying to lose weight to meet the body ideal and boys typically are trying to bulk up mm-hmm. or gain weight. And so we miss this in our boys a lot. Um, doctors miss it. Parents miss it. Teachers miss it. Um, then you have to layer on the fact that a third, it's probably more than a third at this point of uh, children are obese or overweight. And so there is a significant group who are both trying to lose weight and trying to bulk up. Mm-hmm. And that's complicated. Mm-hmm. And we miss that. Mm-hmm. So um, I think parents need to educate themselves mm-hmm. a little bit about the pressures. And then I think uh, the best conversation to have with your kids over the years is sort of, how do you feel in your body? And and do you feel body pressures? And, and, you know, I've noticed you're working out a lot. And what's your goal? You know, I, I've noticed you've changed your eating habits. Let's talk about healthy eating, you know, really <laughs> to keep the same language that we have for our girls uh, aimed at our boys and not to just blow it off because mm-hmm. I think we do blow it off for our boys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And just identifying that, look at, you know, look at the media and look at all of these images that are really pervasive for our boys and that what they're seeing in their favorite programs and who the the top guy is in their you know their favorite movie what they look like and what is that saying to our boys what what about the person who is the sidekick or what about the person who's the villain like what are these images telling us over and over again so that they recognize that they're being fed a diet of these images just like girls are. And they are able to, you know, then recognize, especially these teenagers who feel like they do not want to be fed anything that they haven't voluntarily signed up for. They're, they're too savvy for that, that they, they realize that they're being pushed into a certain mindset. Uh, and that awareness can really help them. Isn't that true? Absolutely. And frankly, the girls should know that the boys face it. Mm. I mean, I think, you know, 
when I when I teach this topic in the classroom, um, I I start the conversation around girl body image and then I flip it. And I would say the girls are stunned because mm-hmm. the boys will all acknowledge the boys know that they have these pressures. Mm-hmm. They and they know the pressures start at the top of the head with either a full head of hair or perfectly round shaved mm-hmm. head, right? Mm-hmm. And you just work your way down. And the boys can articulate very clearly what they're supposed to look like head to toe. And the girls you they say, I have never considered that for a boy. Mm-hmm. So everyone needs to be educated, right? Yes. Good point. Yes. And then everybody can be a little bit more sensitive, more empathetic and be on each other's side. That totally. is a good point. All right. Give us your top tip. What do you want us to come away with from this podcast interview? What do we really want to know or do when it comes to decoding boys? So um, not to beat a dead horse, but um, I, I hope that parents start conversations with their sons about any and all of this. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to do it all at once. And remember that they do go quiet when they go into puberty and they do shut their doors, some more than others. And we should, as parents, be opening the doors, knock first, but <laughs> but open the door and engage them. Let's get out of the habit of saying to ourselves, oh, that's just what they do and I should respect their privacy. Let's find a balance between respecting their privacy and actually going in there and having conversations that they need. Mm. Because if we don't, we don't give them language and we don't give them the opportunity to think through all of these things that are facing them. And that's not fair. Mm. We're not raising them. Our job is to make them safe and healthy. And this is part of keeping them safe and healthy. Mm. So that's my hope. Mm, I love that. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I think that many parents, you know, will, will look at what's going on in puberty and and both with boys and girls and say to themselves, this too, this this too shall pass. And right. and we can't just sit idly by while while they go through puberty. I think it's really important what you're saying. It just put high beams on that, that we have to get to talking about these types of things so that they have the information that they need so that they can can face the day head on and that they feel like they're being supported. They have the the information that they need and they can thrive as they're going through a really interesting and sometimes somewhat challenging and very different part of life that nobody's ever, you know, prepared them for before unless we do it. So that's right. I really appreciate that. Can you give us the resource of the week? Where can we go to get more information about you, your book and all the great work you're doing? Um, you can head over to my website, which is worryproofmd.com. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so very much, Cara Nadison, for giving us your insight and your strategies and your information about how to decode boys, all this great information about puberty and sex and porn and body image. These are the necessary conversations that we need to be having with boys as they're going through this stage of life. And you helped us to come up with what really we need to be doing uh, during that uncomfortable time. Uh, We really just appreciate having your your words and your information in our heads as we engage in these conversations. So thank you so very much. 
Thank you. I loved speaking with you. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram at drrobinsilverman. I will be creating memes where we can go back and forth honoring some of the great quotes from this podcast episode with Cara Datterson because she gave us so much to think about and I know you're going to want to share those and we'll be all up on social media sharing those and giving them to you too. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about these outstanding strategies, these scripts, these tips that Cara Natterson has given us so that they can use them in their own homes with their own boys. We really need it. And I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there. And the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Perhaps you're remembering you had this conversation with your son, with your nephew, with a key boy in your life, and you go, oh boy, I shut that thing down, or I said the wrong thing. Nope, nope, nope. We're not going to do any shame on ourselves. We're just going to say, I can go back. We can try again because we always can. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.